Check. Okay. I was sounding pretty good. Pretty good. Oh, just peaked my levels. Fuck. Uh, well, better peaks and valleys, what I say. Hi, guys. How we doing? Thanks for tuning in. Bonus interview, Blue Toddcast. My name's Todd Bluebaugh, and I am happy to have you with me here in the desert. Or, actually, maybe I'm happy to be with you wherever you are. I don't know where you are, but I'm happy to be here. In your car, in your cubicle, in your garage, in your headphones, blasting over the speakers. Turn it up. Let's get busy. I've been busy. Been working hard on a few things. Um, trying to figure out some quality issues with sound. I've built some tools that I'm excited to test out for the next episodes I have coming up, which are good ones, by the way. So that's exciting. I, I got to I gotta test these things out. Today I'll probably go bug Sean Dugan, do a little test ride with me. See if we can't record these bikes and get a little better audio on them. Wind is really hard to figure out, and I honestly don't know of anyone who's done a good job of that without recording some foley. And and we've talked about that too. I but I like the sound of my friends' bikes. I like the way they sound. I can identify them. I know who's coming from a mile away up here in the desert where it's nice and quiet. I know exactly who's coming up to the house, and uh, I I just. I couldn't fool myself with with putting some audio over it. So we're trying to f- figure out how to get that sound in the field. But we're getting there. And um, the bikes are ready. Ready spring is here. It's nice in the desert. I mean, it's going off right now. I hope you guys are excited because we're going to be putting some miles down this spring. I'm going to touch wood now. They said the bikes are ready. So we'll touch that real quick. You know how that goes. Things are moving forward in Feature World, too, which is really exciting. I've got updates there. Um, as you guys may or may not know, I've been trying to break into that world for a very long time. It's, it's hard to do. And I think our, our first feature film, Latawana, that we shot over six years ago already, I think the market may be ready for it again. And these are true indie endeavors, people. I can't explain what goes into that but you live and breathe those projects with no money and very little resources and to pull one of them off is incredibly exciting and a huge achievement even if no one ever really sees it if you've been through it you know what I'm talking about and I think a lot of one is going to be available to see um, sooner than later and that's I guess that's a breakthrough you guys may have my book um, too far gone that's moving forward into script form and possibly going to be working on a feature of that soon, which is really exciting. I've got some players involved that might be the right partners in making that into a real movie. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. I'm also going back to Kansas um, this summer to shoot a film with my buddy Scott Topher, who's also another photographer I want to get on here. But Scott and I are going to kick this thing out. and I'm excited. So I'm doing more acting. Doing some acting again, which I enjoy. I don't always like to be behind the camera. It's it's good exercise to do both, I think. 
So that's an update there. I got to thank you guys for the orders, keeping the wheels turning on this thing. Um, the products like the boots I'm doing with Wesco and the jeans I'm doing with Telson, these are these are the way that we're funding the endeavor of this podcast and making these pictures happen. And so I've been really impressed, actually, how well they're selling. You guys are really encouraging me. I haven't even had time to advertise them yet, and we're moving them right along, so... Uh, we're still taking pre-orders on the Blue Bile Engineer boot, and of course, uh, the jeans are available on my website immediately. So, thanks a lot. And of course, the book, you know, if you don't have a copy of Too Far Gone yet, go grab one. Okay, what else? I'm just excited about this interview because it's my first um, photography conversation uh first photographer that i've had on here being dean bradshaw dean is an incredible guy he's got the eye man him behind the camera i always feel confident and just happy to be around him dean's an anthropologist he really is good at reading people he's a deep thinker and uh, he's an explorer the camera is just a tool that he uses for his curiosity and Dean and I are a lot alike in that way. So he was out here. We were shooting the campaign for my boots and my jeans, which is basically just getting my friends together and going and ripping around in the desert and making that look fun. And I trusted Dean with that. and He executed perfectly. But he was sleeping on the cot out here. We started talking over coffee one morning, and I said, hold on, man. Like, just hold this microphone. Let's do this. Make this into a bonus interview because you're just too well-spoken, my friend. And, I, and that's really true. That, that comes through when you hear him talk. It's very thoughtful. And uh, we dig deep on the psychology of art and, and purpose and photography. And uh, I think Dean articulates it very well. It was also very fun to hear his backstory coming from Australia. And um, him as a kid and, and his first interests. And it makes a lot of sense where he's arrived now. And he deserves every bit of success that he gets because he is a true photographer. And I've said this before, the understanding the function of a camera is different than being a photographer. You can be a very good technician and execute the technicalities of taking a good photograph, but to me that's about 20% of it. The other 80% is reading people and the moment and being ready for that. And Dean has a way of breaking through uh, with people and them trusting him ultimately to represent them visually that that exposition of them is important and dean's a very sensitive person and that is why he gets the best out of people so yeah let's just get to it okay and i gotta mention real quick that the original music on my podcast that you are hearing is from my very good friend rocco deluca Thank you, Rocco. But let's get to it. Dean Bradshaw, bonus interview, the Blue Toddcast. Buckle up. California, we are broadcasting live in action. How's it? How can you hear my voice? Yeah, I can hear your voice. Okay, give me a check, 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 check. Sound good. Check. Yeah, I feel like it's it's weird to sound my hear my own voice. 
Welcome, Dean Bradshaw. You were my first photographer on this podcast. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Todd. You're also the earliest podcast I've ever done. I'm still in my pajamas. I know, man. I'm me too, and I'm still on my first cup of coffee, so uh, I'll try and make my thoughts count. That's fine. We'll get more here in a minute. <laughs> so, uh, you know what? Just for everybody listening, we had a really good start this morning talking about the important things in the creative process. Before we got too into it, I said, let me grab the microphones and start off. But uh, Dean is one of the most creative photographers I know and hardworking. And this guy will shoot and shoot and shoot and overshoot. And he, that's how you get the good shit, man. Yeah, that's my favorite favorite play. I just keep going until everyone wants to beat their head against the wall and uh, <laughs> push people to their limits. And usually that's where the good stuff happens. You haven't taken me that far. Before. No, no, no. I can, no one can take you that far. You're chill as a cucumber. Um, thanks, man. I yeah, so. but that conversation was good this morning. I mean, I think you and I were like just getting deep about the creative process and finding a bit of purpose in the work. And it's, you know, so relevant right now with uh, the end of the world um, and everyone's confronting themselves. And I think... I'm fascinated by that idea of like, as creative people, I mean, I think I've gone through a roller coaster of emotions this last year of the world is ending and why does anything I do matter? And like, what, how can I still find those things that matter to me so that I can kind of navigate through this? That's a great point that why does it matter? It's interesting how when you strip it down, it's the same thing as dying. Mm. You're just like you might as well just die yeah at that point it's just apathy and like nihilism in a way it's just like you, if you I'm don't gonna, feed yeah. it if you don't feed it it's going it's going to die no you're absolutely right and we all you know have that have that voice and, and the ability to kind of communicate now more than ever and so I mean I always I think of it a lot as like that that, that quote from is it Spider-Man or something with great power comes great responsibility that is so, Spider-Man yeah, exactly so uh, I'm not really a superhero guy, but that one quote I've always loved because it's like, we do have this ability now to communicate on a grand scale. So it's like, what are you going to say? And I think I, I I think of that a lot, but I also neglect that question a lot. Cause it's, it's the hardest question it's, to ask. Yeah, because it, it creates a lot of anxiety, I think. it's it's It puts a lot of pressure on oneself. But I think it it's always been like the underpinnings of whatever I've always tried to shoot is like, what is it that I'm interested in or curious about at the time? Or what are the themes I'm wanting to explore? And um, it kind of, that's the one, I think, thread that I have in the work that I've been doing. It's just a, a personal inquiry or curiosity about things, but it can get exhausting, man, to like, especially when the world is melting down and it's like after pictures of guys on motorcycles or people adventuring or whatever the hell I'm shooting at the time like how is that relevant but I guess on the other side of the coin it's only in tell telling those stories around the campfire that kind of motivates the tribe right it's 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 only through it's how we evolved yeah exactly do you think that if you didn't have the camera and you were still exploring these activities that they would be as fulfilling as they are when you explore them with the camera, I ask myself the same thing. Yeah, that's a very interesting, that's a very good question. Because some people think that the camera takes you out of the moment and it it inhibits your ability to experience something thoroughly and be present. I think it's the opposite. When you take the camera with you 
and go through the journey mm. and say, what is it about this moment and how do I explain that? Mm. And having that tool with you is uh, it makes you think about it more. Thank you, Nick. We have a second cup of coffee oh, here. So thanks, baby. That My question wife just can, brought us coffee. That question is going to be powered by that. <clears throat> I don't want to forget what I just said. No, no, I, I totally this, get it. I so, like, cup of I, I think about that a lot too. And it's funny you say that because one of the things I've actually wanted to do in the last few years is become less of the observer and more of the person in the picture a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm still very much the observer. And But the one thing that I've wanted to do is embed myself more in the subculture of the things I'm shooting. I think which is particularly relevant with motorcycles and it's something I, I actually admire you a lot for. I think you really live and breathe what, you, what you're exploring and it's like, I, you know, you can think of yourself as like an embedded photojournalist in a way where you're living and breathing a subculture. Um, and so if I, it wasn't the camera, I don't know what it, what it might be. I mean... Writers do it. Yeah, like Hunter S. Thompson's a yeah. great example of that. He you did. Know? And I think the photojournalists of the day, we, it's, it's changed hands. My heroes now are... They saw <clears throat> the greatest time in the history of photography. They saw the advancement in the technology. They lived through a chemical process into a digital process, but they also lived through the finance when there was money to be a photographer and a journalist. And yep. like, uh, um, you know, Eugene Smith and these guys that were. They were not soldiers, but they went to war. They went to war without a gun. They went with their fucking camera. Bullets whizzing over their heads. Everything. Tell me that's not the most real thing. No, I totally agree with you. And those are the guys I think that I've always worshipped. It's like, I mean, it is almost a cliche amongst photographers that the National Geographics that we grew up with were like the ultimate inspirational stories. And those guys would embed for six months, like tracking down king cobras in Thailand or... You know, living with tribes in uh, in the Kalahari, um, and I think I love that. I mean, and those, but those guys were definitely far from the the lavish commercial photographers. You know, the you know the Avedons and the guys living in New York and L.A. I it, mean, those, that was a di- yeah, it's a totally different. different tribe. Yeah, those guys were running on grants, government grants, and National Geographic. Um, budgets and, and that whole world is gone now you kind of you couldn't even realistically be that anymore now now that is the instagrammer that's the seven the 21 year old kid with a drone <laughs> Here, here's something that i was misled about getting yeah. into photography most of my <clears throat> you mentioned avidon and yeah like that kind of uh new york fine art uh fringe culture photography I looked at in the same way that I looked at uh, like Time Life and National Geographic and I was like, oh, this is all the same thing. Look at all these things you can do. But most of those guys doing the French culture photography, except, yeah, most most of them, not so much Danny Lyon because he did both, but um, (laughs) they had wealthy patrons pushing them on. They had finance inside whatever social circle they were running into to, to make this art and uh, and that was misleading to me I was like oh there's money in this there's really not the money yeah. comes from somewhere else 
Yeah, Even totally. back then. No, you're right. And there was a, a, certainly a, a squad of New York photographers um, that kind of ran that world. I mean, and I, I've always liked that concept, though, of broaching the two schools, you know? Like, I think it was Irving Penn that would go to Papua New Guinea and throw up a backdrop and shoot tribesmen and then, you know, and then do big assignments. He also shot the Hells Angels. Yeah, he did? From the tribesmen to the Hells Angels. Yeah, his, well, there's that photo on the backdrop, I think I always remember. His images yeah. on the, the Hells Angels on backdrops are like... Yes, no, I know that one particular image, exactly. Danny Lyon was the same, but much more photojournalistic yes. than portrait. Um, I've actually, I love that model. I mean, that's kind of what I try and pursue, I think. Um, that would be my goal, is to broach the world of like higher end portraiture and then this photojournalistic which kind of the photojournalistic stuff for me gives the work some balls it's like you actually go out there and you 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 live the adventure and you kind of go and you find things and it just takes away from the the lattes on a new york soundstage you know (laughs) (laughs) shooting um while your assistant set up your lights you know which to me is I, i love that world too but there's something that the idea of going into the jungle and shooting tribes or I don't even have to ask what you find more fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, 100 percent. If I could be doing if I could be going around the world shooting things that I found interesting, whether it's anthrop, you know, anthropological or landscapes or whatever it might be, that's the stuff I really love. But there is a certain comfort. I mean, it's, it's, there is something nice about the comfort of being in a, a New York and L.A. studio. Um, shooting things. I mean, there's there's a certain comfort in getting paid lots of money and shooting art directors' layouts for an ad. I mean, though, as I say that, I can hear myself not as excited. But it's a but different that's a, challenge. But, but that allows you to live the life. So I've always loved that balance where you work with art directors, you can execute visions on a high level for brands, which is like a, the, my bread and butter and how I pay the rent. And then that always frees me up to go and pursue these other interests. You know, like shooting motorcycle culture or shooting tribes in Africa is not going to necessarily fund a life, you know? It's not necessarily, um, it's not as necessarily lucrative. Not anymore. Not anymore, yeah. And I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I could be, I could, you know, set myself up as the next uh, guy making a lot of money off those things. It is possible. But I've always liked that idea of, of funding, you know, using the commercial work to fund the personal work, which a lot of photographers do. It's not a new concept by any means. Yeah, I, I think the switch, though, like like I was trying to say earlier, is, is <clears throat> that fringe photography didn't exactly have, and I say fringe, I mean like urban fringe. You know, that uh, street photography is now got money in it, Whereas that that William Allard go live with a uh, you know in inside the Amish culture for a year and get their trust so they allow you to photograph them that's gone now. You're absolutely right. It switched because it is, that yes. became popular and now there's money in that and you have to finance those those uh, I guess anthropological shoots by doing the like typical commercial shit. No, you're absolutely right. And there's also but there's also like a it's also a broader kind of cultural shift where where we're we're in the world of fast fashion and we're in the yeah, world of quick inquiry good, and we're not we're in the world of like I need an, another picture of a of a thing for my Instagram. Let me go get that. But you know it's where we're churning out images, but there's this deep inquiry, the concept of deep inquiry 
it has kind of some been lost to some extent and that's not even for me to get on a soapbox because i don't do that like you know i'm not pursuing a certain interest for six months to a year where i'm living with someone and gaining their trust i mean i don't think anyone would if there's no economic upside on that you know like unfortunately the human condition is that, that we need some sort of upside or ability to to do that work um whether it's financial gain or, or something on the other end, you know, like who's going to go live with the Amish for six months if they can't support their family and, and pay their bills while they're doing that, you know? Yeah. Um, and the formula has changed. We're more interested in quantity than quality now. Mm-hmm. It just, because it's, it's not the, it's not necessarily the quality of entertainment. It's, it's continually keeping you entertained. So just, you know, here's a new, here's a new study. Here's a new study. Here's a new study. And these yes. aren't studies. These are just, these are just wallpaper and they're surface level right yeah it's like i find that's a really interesting point because the world is becoming much more homogenized and it's like you look at the content i mean maybe it's also because we're all in our own echo chambers but you look it's like a picture of a vintage porsche a picture of a guy on a motorcycle dressed in a certain way a picture of a girl in bikini in tulum i mean there's like five (laughs) categories of like shit i see on my (laughs) in my right like and like so how, and then every, every other guy is like, oh, I want to get a picture of a 9-11 that's from the 70s, and I want to get a picture of a cafe racer with a fucking leather jacket, like having, you know, and they all look the same. It's like, and you see this homogeneity of content. And so, so, and then every mood board then becomes the same, and every young guy who wants to create cool edgy images has the same references. And so every the, art director is yeah. pulling from the same shit. So then there's, so, so there's this, this element of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's homogeneity that, I think it's also a cultural thing. The world has become more homogenized through the internet. So these little pockets of subculture that these guys might have dipped into back in the day don't exist in the same way, right? I mean, no. they do and they don't. I mean, I find the world you're embedded in, I think, is still a rich subculture that is very different from a lot of the ways people are living their lives. So, I But find there's much more below that surface, and particularly in, in, in the bikes that we're into because yeah. they're – they're harder to find. They're just they're just more niche, and these individuals who have been how would you put it overcome or addicted to this the overcome. pursuit of these I things, they're just they're they're a product of them. It's like there's this yes. natural kind of condition that distills a person. Yes, it distills this into this person. Yes, and they're very interesting. Yes, and they get. They get almost, uh, it's claustrophobic. It's so small and tight and, yeah. and and it makes a very interesting story. Each one of these people have a very interesting story. You're absolutely, and it kind of draws in a particular kind of person, it like does. with a mechanical predilection for being, you know, very hands-on and mechanical and working with their hands, that this idea of self-reliance is always there, this Americana spirit is there. And you kind of, yeah, it weeds out. And it, there is a certain rites of passage. There is. You know, to it's getting one of these bikes and to, to keeping it running. Yeah. And then, you know, and so it does weed out the weak in a way. You know, the weak's not the right word, but it we- weeds out those that aren't willing to put in the work. That's exactly true. Right? That's exactly true. And so your first interest is in the shape of one of these bikes, right? Mm. And you want to see that. A lot of photographers want to shoot that. And it's got a great line and um all of the baggage that comes with that you know yeah. good and bad 
And so you want to you want to start taking pictures of. Then you want to get one. You want to acquire one of these things. And you think that acquiring one of these bikes will be the fulfilling part of owning it. And then you realize, fuck, dude, I need a toolbox. This yeah. shit breaks all the time. Then you get the toolbox, right? And then you got to have a place to put the toolbox. Then you realize I need a garage. So then you got to spend the money and get the garage, and then that fills up with tools just to keep the fucker running. <laughs> and then you're like. Dude, I can't afford all this. I got to move into my garage. So you move into the garage, and now you're living in it. This is and Todd's life story, by the way. Just, this is just how it works for <laughs> yeah. all these dudes. And that w- that is what makes it appear the way it appears yeah. and feel the way it feels. And it's very it's very real because it's all-encompassing. It's yeah. the, it devours you. It devours you. Wow, it devours that is, that is some depth right there. No, you're absolutely right. I mean... And for me, I mean, I'm very much an outsider to your to the subculture, and I find I have like a very different interest in motorcycles than than a lot of guys that come to the scene in terms of whether they're shooting it or inquiring about it. I'm very much into like the a lot of the themes of it, right? Like the rebellion, this idea of Americana, this idea of self reliance, this idea of defiance, yeah, and working with your hands. And obviously, there's the throwback element, the classic American rebel you know, rides these bikes. So I think there's this this counterculture element and that's so hard to find now, right? You don't have the punk rockers anymore, no. really. You don't have the a lot of the counterculture that might have existed in the 80s and 90s and and before then. Um, it's been weeded out and like now every, every guy in a major city wears a hoodie and sweatpants and the same sneakers and has the same haircut and they all aspire to that. And, and you know, that masculinity has, has, has morphed and changed and you know, the most masculine thing a lot of guys do is send an email to their boss, you know, while mm-hmm. they're in their cubicle. And that's why I think I'm so drawn to the this this idea of the it's a very rugged individual, kind of the classic American ideal is I think represented by these motorcycles and the people that are drawn to them. So I think that's why I personally am kind of fascinated by what you guys do and, and what, you know, because motorcycles in general, they all have their own different themes associated with them. You know, you've got the the cafe racer guys who are very much about looks and aesthetics and fashion. You've got your sport bike guys who are very adrenaline based, you yeah. know, and, and it's all about, it's not about anything, how it looks because they look ridiculous, <laughs> but they like going very, very fast. Yes. Um, you've got your dirt bike guys who are a whole different realm and it's about adventure. And then also there's like a certain adrenaline sport element there. You've got your modern diner, diner bros, as they're called. (laughs) And I don't even know what that one looks like. Uh, I couldn't even embody that, that thing right now. (laughs) I'm still uh, working on that. Yeah. And I mean, that's the reason I have a motorcycle in each of these categories, right? Because I like to be able to dip in. Yeah. It's like, that is the fun thing about motorcycles is you kind of, it's like you go into the phone booth, you put a new outfit on and you're a new character. It's so true. Each one of them has their, their own, their own outfit. And their personality yeah. and it's like you can play the like i love having my dirt bike and i go and do that i love i do love having my harley and i go on a long road trip and i can kind of reminisce about that idea of the classic american highway and i think you guys just take it to the whole next level it's like i'm gonna have this thing and i'm gonna know how every part of it works because i fucking have to you have because otherwise i'm gonna get stuck on the side of the road and then that like you said that attracts a certain kind of person um and then you've got this little pocket of people that are all these real self-reliant, love doing things with their hands, love this. I mean, you guys all collectively love this American. You're almost carrying the the torch for this like kind of American rebel 
Um, without the bad stuff, I would say, you guys all have the positive elements of the American rebel. Um, you're kind of carrying that flag. So, right? Yeah, it, it's interesting because it, it changed <clears throat> it changed from being the the guys who originally started this in in the early days they were just looking for camaraderie and a sense of community and they had just come from war and they came back to a very buttoned down traditional america and they were used to fighting for their lives and being in some very high tension high stress situations mm. and no one could relate to them when they came home and they kind of started these clubs just to have something to bring them all together and um that carried over that idea of danger mm. and that influence of danger and it just it just escalated and then it got dangerous and filthy and they had to show that visually in the mm. way that they dressed and behaved and they really started something yeah there's a, definitely like for me and i think this is we're really touching on why i'm interested in this is I'm fascinated by this idea of tribalism and like bands of people. Especially now. Yeah, and I think I d it's so obvious that you guys are a tribe, you're bound together by common interest, but there's also like this masculine desire to kind of group and, and create this band of brothers element. There really is that. And I think that's also what's drawn me towards motorcycles. Like I've made so many amazing friends, like I have such good times with guys that I would no, never otherwise have. Yeah. I mean, I think like if, if I wasn't into motorcycles, I mean, my, my camaraderie with other men would just look very different. You You're know, right. I think there's this, You're so right. There's this beautiful desire. And uh, the reason I'm touching on it is because it reminds me of what you're referring to. Guys come back from war. War is about a band of brothers. You are in the trenches. Um, and you know who has a great book about this? What is it? What's his name? He had a podcast on, with Joe Rogan a lot, Sebastian Junger, called Tribe. Mm -hmm. And he speaks um, exactly of this topic of, he goes, and he, he goes and he's a journalist, and he spends time with the Marines um, in one of the hotspots in Afghanistan. He's particularly looking at this element. He's looking at why are men so attracted to war? Why are these guys so happy when they're being mortared? You know, like why are these guys so happy when bombs are going off and they're just bound to the men next to them? And he 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 basically finds out that these men are not drawn to being in war. They're drawn to like going through obstacles and pain as a group of guys, and that binds them to each other like brothers. And it, and it's, it's a level of depth that's kind of in our DNA, but doesn't really come out in modern society. In modern society, men are isolated. They're, you know, they're living in the suburbs with their family. They're not really interacting with other men and, and they're not going through struggles with other men. And so that's in our DNA. We used to, when I'm in Africa, guys my age are going to raid the next village for the cattle with their AK-47s. And that's right. what they do on the weekend, you know? Like we're, we're getting fucked up and going to the bar or chasing girls and going to restaurants like in major cities. These guys are going and that they laugh about it, right? Like that's their, they have, they have a drink. They take the AKs, they go steal cattle from the neighboring tribe. And I mean, the reason they're doing that is that's what binds them together. Anyway, I'm rambling on here about this topic. No, I, I, I find it interesting. I, I do find it interesting too. I agree 100%. We don't, outside, <clears throat> if you remove that from my life too, photography doesn't bind me to other photographers. No, we're very lone wolves as We really are. Yeah. And, and, and 
you're you're right. I just haven't thought about that. There's no connection in my life as strong as that, other than you know my marriage. Mm. That's it. No, absolutely. And the idea of being connected to other men. Men connect based on act, based on action and activity. Like it's we not, need puzzles. Yeah, we're not like women. Women can get together and just like hang out and talk. Whereas men, we need like we group around activities, right? Whether it's sport. That's why sports, I think, are so important to men. Um, yes. You know, extremely it, tribal. It, yeah, it's very tribal. Team based. Exactly. And I think men have that in our DNA. And I think so many men are craving that and are, and are, are being feeling disillusioned because they don't have other strong men around them. Because think about, you know, this, this concept we talked about earlier, this iron sharpens iron, like good men around you, like makes you a better man. And it really fills you up in a certain way. And it helps you kind of get through stuff. And when you need a, when you need help in some area, whether it's like conceptual help in your life or help fixing something around the house, or help on your motorcycle, you have these brothers to kind of call on. And I think that's a, just an interesting concept that I've kind of learned um, with the whole motorcycle thing, you know, to go deep with it. I know there's other things like that. I know that's out there. Yeah. You mentioned sports. And um, I don't I don't know sports. Like, I don't. <laughs> I'm not I don't. I don't. I've never. Guy, I've never. I played them all through high school played everything you know yeah. and and i was searching then i got into skating and snowboarding and these lone wolf activities yeah but i i developed a connection there too some of those brothers you know but it was the same sense of purpose we go out seeking obstacles yep and we would and a little bit of danger them. right yeah like that absolutely. security guard was the, the guy you'd avoid <laughs> how are we gonna do this yeah exactly we come up with a plan Yep. We pull the shot off, you know, pull the trick off, go home, like feel good about it, fall yeah. asleep that night. And um, I just really pity anybody who doesn't have that. Yeah. And I mean, all it takes is either buying a motorcycle. I mean, a lot of the guys do it with, I think CrossFit has become a little bit of that for a lot of people. Excessive yeah. exercise. and Which is like going through pain. So like Sebastian Junger, that book is fascinating because he, he kind of looks at, People are often the happiest when they're going through things together. Mm. And he references like the London Blitz, which was a time when people of London were the, the community was at the all time high because they were getting bombed. And so your care for your neighbor became so important. And so connection was, was craved, you know. So I'm actually curious to see the other side of this pandemic. This is such a weird thing we're all going through because it's the opposite. I think a lot of us want to be around other people right now. Yeah. And that is the enemy. The enemy is being around other people. So it's it very this, much goes against our evolution. Exactly. So right now, like it, it, there's many elements where it feels like we're in a war. It's this, I don't know, this, it's, it's a bizarre thing that we've never gone through before. But my inclination is like, I want to be around people. Like you want to talk about what we're all going through. And I think a lot of people are suffering because they're unable to do that. It's like the, this idea of loneliness and being alone and being, you know, having to go through all this um, alone is, is quite painful because we kind of forget how communal and how much connection is important to us. You know? We did not evolve alone. Yeah. I mean, I look at that. That's why I love, like, I love this work with, that I've done in other countries where you, it is, it's just so people are living like they did a thousand years ago. And so the men are off hunting or the men are off racing horses or doing this. How long were you in Africa doing that project? That project, I was only there for two weeks, but I've, I've been, uh, how many times have I been to Africa? You've I been to Mongolia. Yeah. Been, what was your favorite country you've gone to? 
Uh, that's a good question. Uh, Mongolia, I really have a great connection to. How um, did they respond to cameras and to your presence in those? Yeah, that's situations? interesting. Um, some places they don't like being photographed, so you've got to kind of develop a little bit of a rapport, and it's which is always interesting when you uh, can't speak the language. Mongolia, they're somewhat receptive. They're fine. Africa depends. I remember I got chased by a guy with a hammer once for taking pictures of him. Uh, that was kind of a fun, scary. In the it was in Turkana. Did you have a like translator moment. with you and, and stuff? Yeah, in that particular instance, we actually had the chief of the tribe with us, who was in the car that I was like next to. I got out to take pictures of a of a cow, mm -hmm. of all things, and this guy was very upset that this cow was being photographed, and so he came at me like like full on, and he had this like hammer in his hand, like he was coming for blood. And thankfully, the chief of the tribe was in the car that I was in, and just popped his head out and like smiled at the guy and the guy was like just crumpled he's like oh he's like everything's fine now okay. <laughs> so, you know um so no that's the only, the only squirrely situation i've been in it just depends really like thankfully the last project i did in kenya we were there with the healthcare organization and so we were embedded with the chief of the tribe and we had people representing the village and to me that's really important um to really get connected because otherwise you can be you can become the tourist kind of white person going in there taking pictures and then taking advantage of the image of of people of you know in these cultures which I'm is so sensitive to that yeah you kind of have to be i think um i think that it's, it's such a complicated topic you really have to have respect for your subject matter um and be respectful of the people you're photographing and that's why to me having a cause associated with it is really nice because you can feel like okay I'm photographing these people, but it's like it really to empower them. It's not and to it's, exploit. Them. Yeah, it's not to exploit. You've got to always be really careful of that. Um, yeah, it's something I I have to think about a lot for sure. Um, my interest is always in like, I think the way that these people are living is very beautiful, and it's the way you know we were living in many cases for generations. Like Mongolia, that was the the example. I actually got fascinated by a part podcast called Hardcore History, which had a whole like 15 hour thing on Genghis Khan's rule in Mongolia. And then I also saw the long way around and I loved that section in Mongolia, which to me was the most picturesque. And so those were the two reasons that I really wanted to go to Mongolia. Um, and so my interest there was, it wasn't uh, so specific. It was so much, it was just really just to embed myself in that culture and just to shoot what it was. Cause I just think it's so interesting and Did you look colorful. at things differently when you came home? I think that experience having it in the back of my head um, definitely gives me a different perspective on how different people can live in other places. That's why I think travel is so important to different cultures is when you just live in one place your whole life, you think that that's the way the world is. And if you go to these other places, particularly extreme examples, Mongolia is a very extreme example because it's so different, you know, in the, in the fringe areas, I'm talking outside the city. Um, it just, it does give you a different perspective. You're like, actually, like, there are different ways to live and one is not better than the other. And you could argue that some people are happier in, the, in those environments because that's Absolutely. how we evolved, you know? And so coming back to that idea of camaraderie, I loved just seeing groups of people socializing all day long, eating together in their, with their families. Like, they're so social. And it's such a big part of the day. If you were to chop the day up into hours, so much of the day is spent engaging with other people, checking on your neighbor, talking to families. You know, they're so connected in these villages and in these small communities. Um, 
that there's, a, I think, a strong sense of well-being that comes from that. You know, it's in total polarity to living in your tiny apartment in New York, never talking to your neighbor, um, and just going through life as a singular struggle, perhaps with a partner, perhaps with kids, perhaps with three or four friends. But there's a certain isolation that is very different than living in a small community. And But you could also equate, to bring it back to America, you could contrast small-town America, where those communities can still exist. Absolutely. You yeah. know? Survival is a shared experience. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't even know if you'd want to survive isolated. A lot of people throw in the towel or they shut down. Oh, no. Their mind destroys Totally. Themselves. Totally. We're not built that way. That's how we punish criminals. We isolate mm-hmm. them. You know, you may not get the death penalty, but you may wish you had if they throw you in isolation for you. I've had friends that were in total lockdown isolation for a year. Wow. In prison. Wow. And they had to have a really strong mind to get out of it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, there's a certain benefit to having that, I think, strength to be able to go through things on your own and not relying too much on people. But it's certainly not the way we evolved, you know, and to me, because I come from background, I studied zoology. I started as a zoologist. So I was always like very science heavy in the beginning of my life. Um, And yeah, I wanted to to travel the world being either a nature documentary filmmaker or I was a field zoologist. So I worked in outback Australia, um, working particularly with snakes and lizards and Reptiles. You're reptiles, yeah. I was a herpetologist. I'm so surprised you live in, uh, you don't live out here. I know, I should. Our it's, reptiles are thriving right now. I know. This is, I mean, this, you know, out here in Joshua Tree is so similar to, to parts of Outback Australia. But I have that, like, it's that very curious kind of mind, like, um, which I think I see my, in my photography now. It's almost an anthropological interest where I kind of am fascinated by people and different types of people and the way they live and it's almost in the same way that I was fascinated by different species of animal back when I was young um so it's funny to actually have that observation yeah it's like I think the curiosity is the underpinning driver of my photography and you know becoming interested in these different things and that that interest I mean I was a zoologist I studied zoology straight out of high school three or four years and I was a field zoologist had you picked up a camera by then yeah I mean I got my first digital camera when I was 18 it was like a little two megapixel thing that my parents got me um and before that my dad had given me his film SLR but I never had the uh, attention span for film so I'd only taken a couple of roles on that thing and then uh really got into digital photography and when I was a zoologist we would go to all these fascinating far-off places in Australia in the western Australian outback and uh I would photograph the animals, the snakes, the lizards, the landscape, the Aboriginal rock paintings, all sorts of things that we would find. And I always had this very conscious feeling of like, it probably based on growing up with National Geographic, where I was like bringing back these these little mementos. Artifacts. Yeah, these artifacts of, uh, of my travels to share with other people, because I was finding all these amazing animals that no one, you know, no average person in the city would ever see. You're still doing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm having that awareness right now, actually. I think I think that, that was always very... It was very uh, obvious to me that I was like bringing back these things to show people. And I'm like, I've always thought of photography as like, here's something I'm interested in. And I think you should be interested in it too. Um, you know, I always think of it as a spotlight that you're shining on things you think are interesting. Now, with that comes great responsibility because I've always got to check myself and like, is really what you're showing right now the most important thing right now? And that's, I think, what the challenge I've had in the last year with the pandemic is the pandemic and political upheaval we've seen in the last year has just heightened, like, 
I mean, the, the things that are front and center right now are very, very important topics, right? Race in America, the political you know, instability in this country, the tribalism around politics in this country, um, this whole idea that the whole pandemic and the economy falling. I mean, these are big big meaty topics there's right? a lot of responsibility attached yeah so it's not that i can kind of make photographs around those things i probably could but it definitely makes you recalibrate like okay as you you know going on motorcycle road trips how does that how does that relevant or important during this time and you could argue that like that that idea of getting out there and is more relevant than ever let me stop you yeah i think you're right I think now, and I just had this conversation with Danger Dan, yeah, who has his podcast, uh, Danger Dan's Talk Shop, and the most we had a Danger Dan and I don't entirely see eye to eye on everything, um, but the one thing we agree on is like these big problems that we're facing could be minimized substantially if people would just displace themselves and go to other places. And see them, experience them, be surprised by them. What you think they are is very different than what they are. Mm. And you have to get out there and experience that to apply it in your own life and have appreciation for it. You're absolutely right. I mean, that that's, comes back to that idea of travel. You're right. I mean, even within the states, if you go... Even within the states. Yeah. If you go to these cities, I mean, look at the... Just the ideas that people have, the false ideas that the people in the countryside have about the city people and the and vice versa. You know, I mean, there's it, this it huge divide right here in this neighborhood. Yeah, wow, it's just a huge divide. Yeah, of the other fear of the other. You know, and I mean, you're absolutely right. The only way to inoculate against that is by going and living with the other. Yeah. You know, it's uh, like it's this. I've always loved this idea. It's very hard to be racist when you live in New York City because you're mixing every day with every kind of person. You know, a guy speaking Swahili next to you. Then there's a, you know, an immigrant from from Borneo that's opened a shop in a neighboring shop. There's a Malaysian guy over here. There's people from Mexico. There's, you know, old school New Yorkers from Irish descent, you know, and they're all mixing every day. And so it is very hard to have predispositions. I mean, obviously, of course, you can still remain with terrible ideas in those environments, but it's much harder it to when you're mixing. Yeah, when you're mixing with people all the time. So it's, it's, it's kind of ironic, right? Like we're both fascinated by tribes and subcultures and, and we actually like the idea that they're all divided up and we love this idea that there used to be lots of different subcultures. But that's actually what creates angst when you've got highly divided groups of people. So it's actually the homogeny, the thing we don't like, that gets rid of those bad ideas. Because when people are mixing and they become more similar, they're much less likely to, to be angry at each other. There's, I mean, Yuval Harari had this... Um, who wrote that book, Sapiens, which is a really amazing book about the evolution of humans, talks exactly about this concept. And he was talking about it early in the pandemic where he talks a lot about this idea of nationalism, you know, because we've got a lot of... As a bad thing or good thing? As just a a part of being human in countries and grouped together in in nations, right? Like as a condition, right? Like you can have... Back in the day, it might have been a nation of 100 people inside a small tribe or, you know, the Zulu nation where it's a large grouping, you know, of a a tribal group in Africa that's fighting against a neighboring um, tribe. But in America, the uh, it used to be that Americans were all bound together and the idea of nationalism meant you didn't like people outside America. Right. Mm. But now it's shifted. It's people within America hate the other Americans more than they hate 
the other countries, right? We need they hate they hate the hate. other team more than they hate um, Russia. You know? Oh God! Which in right. the '80s is the opposite. Every American, well, we're Americans. Um, you know, it would would have been in the past that people in England hated the French. You know. But now it's actually the division within the country is actually more is greater than the division um, out with outside the country. Anyway, we're getting into a weird political space now, but um, it's all kind of it is all interrelated. This idea of groupings and tribes, you know, of people. Well, it's done a number on us at this point. I don't know what the answer is, but I can tell you what will help, and that is. This idea of a motorcycle, applying that to whatever it is you want to get out there on. Yeah. You need a vehicle. We need a vehicle to bring us together. Because I can tell you, I can sit down here with somebody who doesn't share my views. And if they love those bikes as much as I do, we can sit here and have a civilized conversation and go our separate ways and be like, you know what? That guy's all right. Yeah, that's really important. And if we can find something as a country like that... <clears throat> that is constructive, not not deconstructive. Like, you know, a hate for something to bring you together is n- not going to work out in the end. You need something yeah. that you both like to build and put together. And uh, we're lacking that now. Yeah. Businesses are leaving. Manufacturing is gone. Like this sense of pride in America of what we're creating yep. has left and yep. the, the money has left, the jobs have left and we got to find something that we can all be very proud of to bring us together. Yeah. And that, I think the motorcycle culture is such a great example of that. Like what you just said. And there's a lot of hateful people <laughs> in it though. It's surprising to me that like this is, there's a lot of cultures that contributed to the filth and danger of motorcycle culture and and then we we still like to divide them up yeah but even in spite of that we can sit there and kick tires over a bike and and be approving of one another yeah i think you're absolutely right and i think uh i think if you can make good strong men then you can kind of and and women but if you can make people who are happy and satisfied and connected to other people, then that's the only way to make, you know, to make a better country or make a better place is people finding their own fulfillment. I mean, and, and kind of crossing the aisle with different ideas. I mean, you see Joe Rogan doing this with MMA. I mean, MMA attracts all sorts of people. It is often, you know, typically associated with also some negative elements, you might argue, um, of, you know, some negative sides of masculinity. But uh, it kind of brings together, he brings together such a melting pot of people. um, And that shared interest is kind of what binds them together and allows them to have these harder conversations. And, 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 you know, and good, strong people who have worked on their mental health, who have worked on their own happiness and purpose. It's, you know, they're not going to be angry mobs. You know, they're not going to be, you know. Um, they're not going to want violence yeah they're not going to want to overthrow the government (laughs) they're not going to want to storm the capital they're not going to need to march in the streets and burn things down like if you've got good people who've worked on their own stuff um, now that's not to say that the system is kind of favors some and you know favors and you know is not favorable to others but 
most of the tools are out there for us to kind of, you know, live a good life right now. You can start a business, you can do this, you can do that. And this is the hardest time economically that any of us have experienced, I would say. But uh, it's only through, yeah, living the stuff that you're interested in. I mean, I think that to bring it back to the work I'm trying to do, it's like I'm trying to show these worlds of people doing things that they love. And a lot of these images that I'm taking and friends I know, including yourself, are living these lives that most people think that they could never live, you know? You guys are doing these motorcycle trips that most people would, you know, once in a lifetime because they're, you know, they're working their job, they're busting their ass, you know, they have no spare time, they're looking after their family and they're almost living vicariously through the stuff that the people in the images I'm taking are, are doing. But I think the the message that maybe you might say and I might say is that you can go and do this stuff, like find that stuff you're really interested in and really develop that fulfillment and take that trip you want to take and buy that motorcycle and look after yourself and your own well-being because that's the only thing that's going to make you happy and then make, you know, in turn, all of us happy because that shit's infectious, you know? The you, advice I could give to people wanting to start out is be patient. This doesn't happen overnight. And if you, if you want to be the guy on the road on an old bike or flying a plane or whatever it's this it like there's a comprehension that happens over time and that builds off of bad experiences as much as it builds off of good experiences and you've just got to love them both and and I think a lot of people sadly I've seen it I've seen a lot of people who want to jump in and they spend the money without spending the time and they have a bad experience and then they say oh, that wasn't f as fulfilling as I thought it would be. And then they just move on to the next thing. And and that's you're never going to reach a, uh, a, the appreciation for life. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, around like you're that. absolutely right. I think so many of us, including myself, jump around in that way where we're looking to find happiness outside ourselves, And so we, we do it by by starting new hobbies or purchasing new things to kind of hope in the hopes that that will make us happy in a way. And it's like that never really works. So then I, you know, then one day you look back and you've collected all these things and, and it's like none of that really worked. What I love about motorcycles is here's a thing you can purchase. It's not like a piece of clothing that's going to just make you look cool, but you can actually go into a world and live and breathe a, a, a thing that, that will expose you to new people, will take you on adventures, will take you to places you wouldn't otherwise go to, will make you feel a fucking thrill and some adrenaline in your body. And uh, and then you've got to pick your flavor. You know, which flavor of ice cream? Are you, do you want to ride a dirt bike? Do you want to go really fucking fast? Do you want a wheelie? Do you want to have an old thing that goes 70 miles an hour and you have to fix every four minutes? You um, know what it might be? Yeah. Now that I'm just thinking about it, it's like it ev immediately makes you vulnerable. To climb on a bike and get out on the street mm -hmm. or on the road you are now out of the cage and that you're you're exposed totally you know, i if mean if you if you go down on that thing there ain't no seatbelt car hits you you're fucked like you're now vulnerable yeah you're absolutely right and we do crave that i think it, as a man you, you we we do crave that thrill there, yeah. there's like a there's a part of us that needs that thrill it's the it's the thrill of combat. It's the thrill of, of working out really hard. It's the thrill of, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. You're a bag of meat <laughs> on a couple of wheels yeah. next to big fucking metal things going really fast. And it's, 
the amount of danger involved is actually kind of... I don't think the human brain really comprehends it. No, they don't. You know, until you go down. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, what the fuck am I doing sometimes? Um, there but, is a moment yeah. when you're about to hit that car where you're like, oh, this is what they're talking about. Yeah, but I think that comes back to that, that, that kind of it's in our DNA, man. It's like we're not raiding the neighboring, ca- you know cattle farm and stealing shit we're not getting into fist fights outside the bar we're not doing you know this is a really healthy way to experience danger and a thrill it suffices that yeah it kind of fills that up right um and then you're doing it with the other group of guys and so metaphorically it's kind of like the marines in combat i mean nothing like that really but you know what i mean you're you're going through this you're still exposing something dangerous together and it's uh there is a camaraderie i mean like i know a day of dirt biking you know, with your buddies, it feels great because there's that thrill and it was a little bit dangerous at times and you kind of all made it out there okay and it's it's kind of cool. It's And there's that thrill of adventure where you used to be on horseback. You know, you guys riding up to Death Valley, you would have probably done that on a bunch of horses a hundred years ago. It feels like that still. Yeah. I know that that analogy has been beaten to death, but it's very real. And you look after this thing like it is your horse and it's what gets you home Mm. it's just the fight to get home man it it makes it all taste a little sweeter you know you you make it back in one piece and your bike's still running and you really feel like you accomplished something yeah you feel alive and i definitely know that every time one of these fucking bikes start you feel like you accomplished something (laughs) no i totally get that when you're with your bikes in particular (laughs) but that idea of also like the the long road trips i love i think that's probably the the part of motorcycling that I love the most, you know, those couple of trips that I did with Chatwin were some of the best times of my life. And you guys do that on a regular basis, but like having everything you need on your motorcycle, you know, to camp and live and sleep. And, and, and there is a beautiful feeling to that minimalism too, you know, yeah. in a life that is so cluttered, full of things that we've, you know, shit that you don't need that you've bought online. You know, all of us have such a cluttered, messy life. Um, in so many ways and to just get on the bike go on a long journey with everything you need there's a certain just like freedom and and like a weights off your shoulders right you go through this cycle um where it, it's interesting that like when you first start out traveling this way you pack a lot of shit and it's all the shit you don't need it's clothes um comforts really and then the more you do it, you realize I need two pairs of underwear, two pairs of socks, and just the exterior clothing that's going to keep me warm and keep me dry. That's it. The rest is the tools that you can project of the things that are going to fail that you need to Particularly make. with your bikes. Particularly <laughs> with our bikes. And, uh, and you know, the, the very minimal comforts. Like, I want to be able to heat up some water, cook something to eat, and have coffee in the morning. And that becomes your kit. And you start to realize, damn, dude. You look around your house and like, I guess it's really a lot of this shit I don't need. It, it, it's a very nice wake-up call when you're realizing this. Yeah, my dad taught, taught me that about um, just camping when I was young. Of like, It really makes you appreciate everything you have. Because yeah. you're so... Un- it's like you're willingly uncomfortable for a period of time yeah. and you come back and that hot shower feels amazing yeah. and that warmth of your home feels amazing and that 
fast internet connection feels amazing. <laughs> and you kind of constantly, it's almost, you, the human mind requires that to, to, to actually appreciate what's in front of them. It sure it, does. It, it, like, it requires the contrast. It requires you kind of losing everything, which is like going out there with nothing. And then coming back like, wow, look, I, I appreciate everything I have in front of me. Because the alternative is we progressively accrue resources and never actually appreciate what we have. And then we're in our, you know, three-story house in the Hollywood Hills, miserable, you know, with our life because we actually don't appreciate what's in front of us. But if you take it all away and then give it back to yourself, which is kind of what you do on these trips, it's uh, you can have that just that little bit of gratitude, I think. That goes back to this idea of displacement that we were talking about. Not only does it make you look at other people with a better regard, it makes you look at yourself more, I guess, thoroughly. And you do appreciate what you have. People need to travel. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's the that's the broader theme here that, yeah, we just need, all need to get outside our cage, you might argue. And that kind of... Just to get deep and meaningful with motorcycles, you know? <laughs> Literally <laughs> and figured it. Find your motorcycle, yeah. whatever that may be. No, exactly. If I think just Find your vehicle. Get out there, go travel. I mean, the pandemic's the best time to do this. And just go see the world. And, you know, no bad comes of it. Only good things, I think. Well, Dean, we're 53 minutes in, and this was a, a very spontaneous interview. And the first photography uh, discussion that I've had and. I'm really glad you stepped in and did this. Thanks, brother. I like that we only talked about photography for about 10 minutes. That was actually, that makes me feel really good. I know. Too. I, I, could, think, I could talk to you all day, man. But no, we, have to, we have to go shoot today. Yeah, exactly. We need to run. Well, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate having me. You bet. And uh, good luck with all your endeavors. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks, brother. You're welcome. Bye. What'd you guys think? Dean Bradshaw, ladies and gentlemen. Hell of a guy. Thank you so much, Dean, for sitting down. And thank you for the shoot that we did. I am very proud of that. If you guys haven't seen any of those images, please go to my website and check them out. And make sure you go to Dean's website and check out all of his work. He's got a lot of commercial work and he's got a lot of curious work, which is why I love Dean so much. Yeah, I'm very proud of the shoot that we did together. It's... Uh, it's to promote the boots and the denim that I'm doing that finance this project. So kill two birds with one stone if you want to. Place an order if you need some jeans, if you need some boots. If you have any sizing questions or shipping questions, just hit me up. We can work it out. But uh, yeah, that was a good time. And it sure is getting nice out here. <clears throat> I'm excited, everyone. I'm excited for spring. I'm excited to ride. Maybe head east. Maybe up north. I don't know. I had a dream the other night. And it really made me feel something. I think it's just that time of year, maybe. I tried to write it down, but I, I have a hard time doing that. I hear that these dreams manifest in... It's just a, a split second of a vision. But I don't know if I believe that, man, because this one happened as slowly as I sit here now. 
It, it started in a familiar place. I was back home in Kansas, but everything felt bigger. Kind of like it does when you're a kid. The tall grass prairie just seemed endless, and the, the hillsides felt steeper. I remember I was in this, I was in this valley, and and on each side were these big boulder piles, size of castles. And I, I think about it now, and I realize that my mind was blending the world of my childhood with where I live currently. It makes a lot of sense, and, but at the time, I didn't question the landscape. I knew exactly where I was, standing in that valley between the two great hillsides. And there was no moon, but these stars were extraordinary. And from their dim light, I could see movement among those boulder castles. From them started to crawl these giant creatures, these huge winged reptiles, just of impossible weight. And as they revealed themselves, they crushed the stone on which they stood and it rolled down the valley and I could feel the weight of it. And they raised their heads and spread their wings as they awakened and their bellies began to glow as they breathed in and out. And it lit the canyon, and I could see where I was. And I should have been afraid, but I wasn't, because for some reason, I knew exactly what these creatures were. They were the very first fireflies. <clears throat> and now that I could see my path, I started to walk, and they flew away so far that they became tiny pinholes of light in the moonless sky. As I reached the end of the path, it turned into another familiar place. The street that I grew up on. And it was spring, and it smelled sweet, like fresh-cut grass, just as I remember. And on both sides were houses that I recognized. And I knew that in them were people that I loved. I could hear them talking and laughing, and it felt really good, because this has always been a comfort to me, hearing happiness from the street, from the outside. And so I just kept walking past all the houses till the street ended on the front steps of my high school. And there stood all the friends I hadn't seen in a lifetime. And we were all young again, as though no time had passed, but we greeted each other knowing that it had. Laughing, crying, talking over each other. And I realized that many of these people were actually dead. So I sat down on the front steps just to hear their voices again. But if you've ever lived in the Midwest, you know the sound of a cicada. And these cicadas, grew so loud that none of us could hear each other. So I turned to everyone and I shouted, I love you all so much, but sit down, shut up for a second, and let's just watch these fucking fireflies. And then I woke up. 
<laughs> What's it mean, I wonder? Probably nothing, but I wish you all sweet dreams. Until next time, everyone. Be safe. <laughs>